647 in Los Angeles. 947 in New York City and up and down the East Coast of America. 247 in London, 817 in Mumbai, India, 1147 in Kyoto, Japan, and in Malaysia, we're late! I'm Jay Sheldon, and I'm not wearing pants. I'm telling you, you got to give me a second, because everything, everything that could be screwed up is screwed up tonight. Trust me. It just doesn't get any weirder than this. Okay, wait. I'm, I'm fiddling with my headphone wires because my headphones are screwed up, and I don't know why. But I'm just going to go with that. The hell with it. <laughs> I made it. I'm here. I'm very late, but better late than never. <sighs> Why was I late? <laughs> I went to the beach. Well, I went to the beach, but I had long pants and a t-shirt on and sports shoes. Um... I'm sorry, my headphones are really bothering me, so just give me one more second to try and fix them if I can. And if I can't, then I will I will give up forever, I promise. Okay, apparently they're just not going to cooperate. So there you go. Okay, uh, we went to the beach. The whole damn family. It was Miko's day at the beach, and we'll tell you about that coming up in just a minute or two, because that's the biggest thing I have to share. Also, uh we're going to talk a little bit about this idiotic, ridiculous, stupid requirement that's, it's not new. It's been going on for a long time. Trust me, I'm in the business of how many likes you have, how many followers you have, and other buffalo sandwich stuff. Basically BS, buffalo sandwich, which is short for bulls, you know. Okay. We're live on Facebook, YouTube, Twitch. We are not live on Rumble tonight. Something is happening with our feed to Rumble. I don't know what. I'm working on it with tech, trying to, with Rumble's tech, trying to get it fixed. But I will upload this show to Rumble right after we get done with the show tonight. We are also a podcast across all the podcast platforms. And thank you folks so much. We get lots of downloads every week. People listen across the planet. U.S., U.K., India, hey, from Geo7, hi, from uh, folks in India, Australia, U.K., you name it. We even had uh, some folks from uh, Cambodia, who I don't know, I don't know, but there you go. Thank you. We really, really appreciate you spending some time with us. This show isn't terribly controversial. People always say, oh, you know, be more controversial, you'll get more viewers and listeners. I, you know, once or twice I'll bring up something like tonight, this stupid, how many followers do you have before we cast you in our film or TV commercial? Um, we, you know, we'll talk about some mini controversy stuff like that, but mostly we just take an hour or so, kick back, share with you some cool stuff I find on the internet and, and hang out and talk about simple things, good things, the goodness, the kindness of people. Uh, funny things every now and then we do that too and uh, if you'd like to help pr uh, pr support the show you can do that at patreon.com uh, slash jsheldon 
You'll find three different tier levels there. And um, also, we are now on Locals. You'll see a button on our Rumble video for our Locals account, or you can just go to Locals.com, look up Jay Sheldon. I think it's Jay Sheldon or Jay Sheldon No Pants, whatever. You'll, you'll find the logo there. Um, and support us over on Locals, too. Locals is a cool site. Check it out, Locals.com, if you haven't signed up there. And uh, yeah, so there we go. We've got, uh, we've got, we have how I spent my evening coming up now, or otherwise known as Miko Update. Me, 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 me. Miko Update. And, and a sip of coffee, too. Uh, <laughs> The little girl is remarkably fine. At this moment, she is dead to the world. She's so tired. She had a big, long walk this morning. And then uh, we left here about 4 o'clock, and we traveled for about an hour to uh, Pantai Morib, uh, which is on the west coast of Peninsular Malaysia. And this is what I just got back literally a half an hour ago. I haven't showered. I haven't had dinner. Nothing. I do this for you people. <laughs> and I love it. We had such a good time. This this is, she just jumps right in the water. She loves the ocean, which is so cool. We had brought her to a beach. I shared those pictures with you a while ago, but it was not a nice, it wasn't really even a beach. It was all rocky and the tide was out. Well, the tide was out here today, too. You can see there. What a beautiful shot, by the way. Thank you. Um, it was just getting to be sunset, so it was a perfect time of day. And uh, you'll see here that the, the, it was low tide way out there. We did get all the way out. We walked through the uh, the little bits of tidal pools that were there. And uh, we had a great time. Miko had a uh, just a ball. She was digging in the sand. I'll show you some video of that coming up in just a bit. Um, remarkable, remarkable evening. There's some great shots we got here. Uh, she she just could not have been happier. The beach was very nice, actually, at uh, Pantai Morib. And uh, check it out if you ever get a chance. There's a great sunset shot, just as the... Uh, as the sun's headed down, there's the little girl. All I'm sorry if you're listening on our podcast. These are all pictures of our trip to uh, to the beach today. So you're going to have to go over to our Rumble, Facebook, or YouTube account and check out or Twitch.tv and check out the replay of the video. Um, you can check out all these great shots. By the way, we weren't the only Sheba on the beach. There's a whole group of Malaysian Sheba owners, and we're all pretty tight-knit. We're all good friends. We all get along great. And you saw some video earlier on an earlier show of uh, Nico uh, and Miko when Nico came over for a play date. Well, Nico was there today, and so were a whole bunch of us. These are all one, two, three, four, five, Miko, six. I think there were six, seven, eight. Uh, Sheba's there. I'm going to scroll through these. There's a great shot of Mika. I'm going to scroll through through these as we talk. And uh, everybody got together. I was the only moron who wore long pants because I, I hadn't really thought about going in the water 
But there's, uh, look at that. What a great picture of Miko at the sunset, out, headed out into the, uh, into the water. And uh, yeah, there's me and there's her. Uh, could not keep her away from the, uh, from the water tonight. It was great. She had a fantastic time. There's so many pictures here. This is one of the other Shebas. I, it looks a lot like Miko, but it's not Miko. That's one of the other Shebas and uh, his or her owner uh, taking some pictures. Here's some video of, of Miko digging in the dirt. Now check. Oh, no, this is just her walking on the beach <laughs> having a great time coming up in a bit though you, uh, there's me and me and meek <laughs> uh i gotta get to this this other video they said they had some birds some morning doves and things in a cage here <clears throat> and uh miko was fascinated by them and let's see there she is walking there's uh, your fat host me and uh the little girl some great shots here. Look at that. What a beautiful beach this is. It really was very clean. Up under the trees was kind of a mess. It wasn't horrible. I've seen worse. But honestly, the beach was very clean. Didn't smell. Uh, you know, not even that usual ocean fishy smell. But uh, there's Miko. I think that's post pee on a little tree out there on the sandbar. And uh, I forget this one's name. I can't. They, they do look very much alike, but Miko's always wanting to play whenever she sees another Shiba. She's always up for a game, and we were walking. We walked all the way out here to the ocean, uh, to where the, the, the low uh, lowest of the low tide was, and uh, she jumped right in. She didn't go all the way, like, swimming in, but she got up to her belly, so she did really well. And uh, finally, let me just uh, share with you here. This was this was one of her best times. She was fascinated by digging a hole. I don't know if she thought she had something under there, but uh, she was digging around. And again, if you're on the podcast, I'm sorry, I'm talking about stuff that's purely visual. So uh, check out our, there we go, back and forth, back and forth, running like crazy. She starts with this F1 run. <laughs> that's about a 30 meter leash by the way which we have which is great because she can take off and yet i won't lose her because she's not really off leash trained but there she goes back at it again <laughs> into this crazy hole absolutely insane that was a great great afternoon and evening and thank you to all the other shiba owners <clears throat> who were there and thanks for inviting us. We had a we had a fantastic time. It was so cool to be there. And again, like I said, if you're listening to the podcast, please do. I encourage you to head over to uh, Rumble, Facebook, Twitch.tv, or YouTube and check out the video, at least this part of the show, so you can check out and see what uh, what Miko and I were up to. Hmm. <laughs> All right, this story hit the uh, hit the headlines this week, and mm, I get it, but I hate it. This is from Coconuts, coconuts.co. Uh, if you want to read the whole article, the link is in our show notes tonight. A casting call for Instagram famous talents, and a lot of veteran Malaysian actors are pretty up in arms about it, pretty 
SPO'd, as they say. Um, Namron there, dear friend, lots of great folks. Um, if you miss seeing your favorite local actors on screen lately, well, that's probably because the industry has been favoring talents, and I use that term very, very loosely, with a huge social media following. A long time ago, actors got their claws out at this controversial casting requirement yesterday, uh, long-time actors, I should say, after an unknown media network allegedly requested for younger talents with no fewer than a million Instagram followers. Uh, among those who called out the unfair requirement were award-winning actors Sharifa Amani, Aidil Putra, Shahili Abdan, better known as Namron, uh, he, uh, who first outed the broadcast company on Wednesday. Uh, Sepet actress Sharifa Armani said, so who does this benefit really? Um, she's got like a half a million Instagram followers. And she also said that um, the criteria was ridiculous and unfair. Um, this is from a broadcasting company. Now we have three broadcast companies for the most part, three major ones. That would be Astro, although I usually refer them with another name, if you can imagine what that is. Uh, Media Prima and RTM, which is basically the government's broadcasting arm. Um, although it has a stranglehold on all of them. But this broadcasting company does not say which one it was. And I have run into this. I have created television programs. I've created online content. Content. Um, I directed one of the first and huge... I'm not... This is not a big pat on the back for me, please. I had little to do with this. I just directed the show. But one of the first and highly successful, highest-rated uh, comedy shows called Comedy in both BM and English. Uh, the BM hosted by Harith Iskandar, the English hosted by Douglas Lim. I directed all those uh, episodes and seasons before a bunch of contract crap happened and the show wound up getting canceled. Not for low ratings, because the ratings were never low. And uh, we put people on that show because they were talented, not because they had Instagram followers. And how many Instagram followers you have shouldn't matter diddly squat to whether or not you get cast in a film or a TV commercial or a sitcom or television show, whatever it is. This is a big part of the reason why we get the absolute crap we have for content these days because our priorities have to do with how many Instagram followers do you have and not how talented are you in the role? How well can you act in the role? Even if you have no social media account at all, so you can't have any followers or likes or shares. Look, I do this show three days a week. I don't get a whole lot of likes and follows and shares. We have a nice, cute little audience, and I love every one of you. And I don't care 
whether I have 100 followers or 100,000 followers. Every time you hit that subscribe or like or share button, I love you to pieces and thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for, do for doing it. But honestly, that's not why I do this show. I do it because I love doing it. And if I ever don't love doing it anymore, I'll stop doing it. It's just that simple. I don't do it for the likes and shares. No reason I should. I don't have sponsors at the moment, so I'm able to do whatever the hell I want to do. Um, and that includes ranting and raving about these idiotic companies, be they, be they sponsors or broadcast companies who make stupid requirements that have nothing, zero, nothing, goose egg to do with talent. How many followers you have does not qualify you as an actor to get a part in a film or a play or a commercial. Now, if you're a famous Instagrammer and you want to, or TikToker, and you want to go on and sponsor the product and support it, fine, I get that. At least you're being honest about it. You're there. Maybe you're just some no-talent goofball on TikTok, and you want to get your million followers to buy a product? Knock yourself out. Free market enterprise. Love it. Love me some capitalism. Go for it. But if I'm casting a film, a feature film, I don't give jack squat how many followers or likes you have on social media. That has nothing and should have nothing to do with whether or not you can act and whether or not you get the part. Sadly, that ain't the case. And it's happening more and more. And it has to stop. You want to use million follower Instagram or tiktok -y people for your commercials? Knock yourself out. Go for it. I frankly think you're wasting your money, but knock yourself out. But you cast somebody in a series or a sitcom or a television show or, God forbid, a feature film based on their followers, you're a moron. You should get out of the business. Go work at McDonald's. Try this phrase. Would you like fries with that? Because you'd have a lot more success and you'd be doing a lot more good for the whole entertainment business if you just quit, leave, get out of the business. And go work at Burger King. I'm serious. This pisses me off to no end. You have no idea what I've gone through myself. For some of this bullcrap that happens. Trying to cast people. Oh no, we don't like him. He's not, uh, he's not socially relevant enough. But he's perfect for the part. And he can act. And he gets it. Oh, yeah, but his following isn't that good. Mm. Seriously, I just, I'm over it. Okay, I got to stop talking about that or I'm going to say bad words that I, I mean, but I'll get myself in trouble. Uh, we got to do some good news. Look, uh, this is, oh, man, this made my week. I got to switch gears here and get out of that bad mood because, and this is going to do it because this is an amazing story. We told you the story about a month ago 
about this uh, young girl, Malaysian teenager, who sadly is dying. And she had a simple, very simple last wish. I mean, not the last thing she does before she passes, but before she passes, she wanted to ride on a train. She had always seen the train going by her house and had always wanted to ride on a train and sadly had never gotten the chance. Well, she got the chance. This is so cool. You remember when I did that story about a month ago? Dream comes true for paralyzed Malaysian teen whose dying wish was to ride on a train. This is from World of Buzz. Hat tip to you great folks over at worldofbuzz.com. The link is in the show notes. I encourage you to go read this, this whole article. We're not going to read the whole thing. But uh, there it is, and there she is, uh, both headed to the train uh, at the station, and there she is on the train, fulfilling one of her final wishes. Uh, November 9th, the World of Buzz uh, folks reported about an underprivileged, paralyzed teen from Kampong Bakabata in Perak, whose only wish before she died was to ride on a train. Uh, 17-year-old Aziana Sha'ari was paralyzed because of an accident that happened when she was 10. Her spine was destroyed after being crushed by a concrete wall. And she's been suffering as her kidneys were damaged. Her intestines no longer function. She doesn't feel anything from the waist down. She said, I've lost the joy of life since the incident, and this is the only dream riding a train I want to fulfill before I die. When uh, Aziana was a young girl, she often saw the train pass by in front of her house and vowed that one day she would go for a train ride. Well, on the 24th of November, just three days ago, Aziana's dream came true through the efforts of KTM, KT Emberhad. The train company had set up a train for bedridden Aziana to go on, and the whole entourage went for a 35-minute train ride from Sungai Patani to Butterworth. In order to make things more special, the train actually... Ah, oh, this... Look at this. The train stopped on the tracks for a minute each, right in front of Aziana's house and near the Pry River Bridge. I'm not crying. You're crying. Look at that. Look at these pictures. Absolutely incredible. There she is on board the train. In a post from KTMB, they said that Aziana was very cheerful during the whole train ride, and her mother was especially thankful. A quote here from her said, I'd like to th say thank you to KTMB for being so concerned and for realizing Aziana's dream. Other than that, the train company also gifted the family uh, some diapers for Aziana's use, and uh, her dream finally fulfilled. Let's just end with this picture, man, that is amazing. To the KTM people, wow, good on you. Uh, you know, people make a lot of complaints about the trains, they're late, they're dirty, whatever it is, but man, you did, did some major redeeming yourselves. That is just so special and such an amazing, amazing story. So glad to hear that. And uh, Aziana, we wish you all the best, man. 
That's incredible. All right. We have to protect our children. Mm. And before we get to our book tonight, I got one more story to share you. I know we're running a little late because we uh, we didn't get started till late tonight. But we will be doing another a part of another chapter in our book, The Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. We started that a few weeks ago, and uh, we're going to continue right up until Christmas. And we'll be reading another chapter in Dickens' Christmas Carol in just a bit. But I found this article. The link is in the... By the way, the link to the Adriana story from KTM is also in our show notes. So if you want to read the whole article, check it out from all the buzz. Uh, this one's from Upworthy.com. And uh, it's interesting. And it's... I love the point that it makes. The headline is, it's not our job to protect our children from pain. It's our job to guide them through it. And again, the links in the show notes, I encourage you please to go read this whole article. I'm not going to read all of it, but part of it. Uh, My daughter and I were at the park last week, running, jumping, chasing ducks, playing tags when the unthinkable happened. She was mocked and teased for the first time, the very first time. Of course, my initial reaction was full of hurt, sadness, anger, rage. I wanted to swoop in and hug my daughter. I wanted to protect my daughter, go full-on mama bear on the little twerp who thought it was okay to make fun of girls because she and her friends were just that, young women, young ladies, creatures of a different sex. But my mind told me I shouldn't. My mind told me I need to sit back and calm down. And my mind forced me to check myself. It told me to stop and pause and leave my insecurities at the door. Because while I hate to see my daughter struggling, I hate the fact that my sweet, innocent, kind-hearted, free-spirited four-year-old girl is already experiencing feelings of disappointment, rejection, being let down. I know that in order to grow, I need to learn to let her face these things. I know that I must let her feel these things, and I know that if I want her to become a well-rounded human being, I will have to let her hurt. I'll have to let her cry. So I stepped back, stood by, and waited. I tapped my foot, bit my nails, picked at the skin between my thumb and forefinger, and waited. And while my daughter didn't run away, nor did she cry, she was visibly frustrated and upset and annoyed. But just as I was getting ready to speak up, moments before I stepped forward to yell her name, she decided to say something. She decided to tell this boy he was being mean and not nice. And while my daughter, my four-year-old little girl, handled herself well, while she handled herself with poise and confidence, self-respect and pride, well, that a low-blown swipe at his face, I was still rattled because my gut told me I needed to do more. Because inside, I was yearning to do more. Of course, I know this desire to save her and help her comes from my own painful childhood. 
I was a quiet girl, a shy girl, a girl who ran from bullies literally. I once ran through a row of bushes and hid behind a tree, and I always cowered. For years I swallowed my voice, but now I want to scream. I want to yell. I want to advocate and intervene on her behalf. But I know that's not what she needs. I know that's not what I need. And while I want to protect my daughter from the world, while I want to shield her from the hurt and the sadness, from anger, fear, disappointment, and pain, I cannot help, I cannot because doing so would be a disservice. I need to help her help herself. Now, let me just encourage you again to go to the link in the show notes at upworthy.com. Read the rest of this article because it's brilliant. But know that your kids, while they will need you to be there for them, sometimes you need to let them find the path themselves. It's going to hurt. But in that hurt, sometimes we learn. Let's keep that in mind. I thought that was brilliant, and that's why I wanted to share it with you tonight. So, all right. Okay, we're going to, I've got lots of other topics and things I had saved to share with you tonight, but again, because we're so late, just wanted to hit on a few important things that I found and get them out there. We'll do a whole bunch more on Monday night, and uh, we'll be here Monday at uh, 10 o'clock Malaysian time. That's for sure. All right. It is time once again to head on over to the amazing Charles Dickens and his incredible book that we have been reading from beginning to end. And we are at Stav 4, as they call it. They call their chapters Stav. I'd never heard of that until this book. But... That's what this book does. So, in our last stream, we, uh, we ended the third chapter, The Spirit of Christmas Present, and right at the end, a solemn phantom appeared out of the mist and walked towards Scrooge. This is chapter four, The Last of the Spirits, from Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. The phantom, slowly, gravely, silently approached. When it came near him, Scrooge bent down upon his knee, for in the very air through which the spirit moved, it seemed to scatter gloom and mystery. It was shrouded in a deep black garment which concealed its head, its face, its form, and left nothing of it visible save one outstretched hand. But for this, it would have been difficult to detach its figure from the night and separate it from the darkness by which it was surrounded. He felt that it was tall and stately when it came beside him, and that its mysterious presence filled him with a solemn dread. He knew no more, for the spirit neither spoke 
nor moved. I am in the presence of the ghost of Christmas yet to come, said Scrooge. The spirit answered not, but pointed onward with its hand. You are about to show me shadows of the things that have not yet happened, but will happen in time before us, Scrooge pursued. Is that so, spirit? The upper portion of the garment was contracted for an instant in its folds, as if the spirit had inclined its head. That was the only answer he received. Although well used to ghostly company at this time, Scrooge feared the silent shape so much that his legs trembled beneath him, and he found he could hardly stand when he prepared to follow it. The spirit paused a moment, as observing his condition and giving him time to recover. But Scrooge was all the worse for this. It thrilled him with a vague, uncertain horror to know that behind the dusky shroud there were ghostly eyes intently fixed on him, while he, though he stretched his own to the utmost, could see nothing but a spectral hand and one giant heap of black. Ghost of the future, he exclaimed. I, I fear you more than any specter I've seen. But as I know your purpose is to do me good, as I hope to live to be another man from what I was, I am prepared to bear your company and do it with a thankful heart. Will you not speak to me? It gave no reply. The hand was pointed straight before them. Lead on, said Scrooge, lead on. The night is waning fast, and it's precious time to me. I know. Lead on, spirit. The phantom moved away as it had come towards him. Scrooge followed in the shadow of its dress, which bore him up, he thought, and carried him along. They scarcely seemed to enter the city, for the city rather seemed to spring up around them and encompass them of its own act. But there they were in the heart of it, on change amidst the merchants who hurried up and down and chinked the money in their pockets and conversed in groups, looked at their watches and thrifted thoughtfully with great gold seals and so forth as Scrooge had seen them often. The spirit stepped beside one little knot of a businessman. Observing that the hand was pointed to them, Scrooge advanced to listen to their talk. No, said a great fat man with a monstrous chin. Mm, I don't know much about it either way. I only know he's dead. When did he die? inquired another. Last night, I believe. Why? What, what, what was the matter with him? asked a third, taking a vast quantity of snuff out of a very large snuff box. I, I never thought he'd die. God knows, said the first with a yawn. 
What has he done with his money? asked a red-faced gentleman with a pendulous excrescence on the end of a nose that shook like the gills of a turkey cock. Well, I haven't heard, said the man with the large chin, yawning again. Left it to his company, perhaps. He, he hasn't left it to me. That's all I know. The pleasantry was received with a general laugh. It's likely to be a very cheap funeral, said the same speaker. For upon my life, I don't know anybody to go for it. Suppose we make up a party and volunteer. Mm, I don't mind going if lunch is provided, observed the gentleman with uh, his nose, but I must be fed if I make one. Another laugh. Well, I am the most disinterested among you, after all, said the first speaker, for I never wear black gloves, and I never eat lunch. But I'll offer to go if anybody else will. When I come to think of it, I'm not at all sure that I wasn't his most particular friend, for we used to stop and speak whenever we met. Bye-bye. Speakers and listeners strolled away and mixed with other groups. Scrooge knew the men and looked toward the spirit for an explanation. The phantom glided on to a street. His finger pointed to two persons meeting. Scrooge listened again, thinking that the explanation might lie here. He knew these men also perfectly. They were men of business, very wealthy, and of great importance. He'd made a point of always standing well in their esteem, in a business point of view, that is, strictly in a business point of view. "'How are you?' said one. "'How are you?' returned the other. "'Well,' said the first, "'old Scratch has got his own at last, hey?' Mm, "'So I'm told,' returned the second. "'Cold, isn't it?' Seasonable for Christmas time. You're not a skater, I suppose. No, no, something else to think of. Good morning. And not another word. That was their meeting, their conversation, and their parting. Scrooge was at first inclined to be surprised that the spirit should attach importance to conversations apparently so trivial. But feeling assured they must have some hidden purpose, he set himself to consider what it was likely to be. It could scarcely have be supposed to have any bearing on the death of Jacob, his old partner, for that was past, and this ghost's province was the future. Nor could he think of any one immediately connected with himself to whom he could apply them. But nothing doubting that to whomsoever they applied, they had some latent moral for his own improvement. He resolved to treasure up every word he heard and everything he saw, and especially to observe the shadows of himself when it appeared, for he had an expectation that the conduct of his future self would give him the clue he missed and would render the solution to these riddles easy. And he looked about in that very place for his own image.
And that's where we will end chapter four tonight. We'll pick it up again on Monday night. A Christmas Carol from 1834 and Charles Dickens. <laughs> All right. Uh, we were late tonight. My apologies for that. Thank you for joining us. And I will see you again on Monday, 10 p.m. Malaysian time. Have a great rest of your weekend. Enjoy it. Thanks for listening. Thanks for the podcast listens. And uh, I'll see you again Monday. I'm Jay Sheldon, not wearing pants. Good night. <laughs>